0: All right, so we are going to finish Chapter 3 here this morning. That's our our goal. We will finish Chapter 3. I'm going to see what I can do to try to speed up the coming weeks because two weeks per chapter is a lot. But there's just a lot in it. So anyway, we'll see how this all goes. But we're going to finish out Chapter 3 this morning. Uh, But as far as review goes, we did uh, the first page of your guys' notes. Somebody gave me a quick review. What were some of the things that really stood out to you that we talked about last week from verses 1 through 5? Yes. Yes. That is big. That is big. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, no one can do it for you. No one. No one can. They can point you in the right direction. They can tell you how to walk with God, but you actually have to do it. And this is simple because in life, this is just a simple concept. Like when you learn to walk, when you learn to ride a bike, when you learn to do anything on your own, there had to come a point where you took the risk to do it yourself. And sometimes it was harder than others. Like I remember, um, I love water skiing. Water skiing is one of my favorite things to do in the world. I've not done it in years, but I love it. I remember when I was 10 years old when I first started, um, there was a guy who's a family friend, and he's also my doctor. He's actually retiring this year. I need to find a new doctor. That's a whole other mess. So anyway, uh, but he taught me how to ski when I was 10 years old. He took us out on, I think it was like uh, West Branch. Um, and, and then we would later go to Clarion River over in Pennsylvania, which is incredible, incredible skiing over in Clarion River. I love it. So, um, but you just, you get in the water and you heard his instructions and you're like, all right, when this happens, this is how it's going to feel. And then when this happens, this is what you got to do. And then when this happens, I'm like, okay, 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 okay. And so then I get into the water and I'm like, Ooh, and then you're nervous because then you're holding on to the rope and then the boat starts going and your first instinct with water skiing is that you want to push your your legs forward. Well, here's the deal. When you're fighting against a 480 horsepower motor, guess who's gonna win? Not you. Not me, (laughs) nor your legs. It's just not gonna happen. And so he's like, just let it pull you up, but your instinct doesn't want to push. And like, there's so many correlations spiritually with that, that when God's wanting to teach you something, our first reaction is to get mad or to get angry or to be defensive. I mean, there's just so many lessons we can learn in that. And so, but I had to do it myself. Now, when it came to two skis, two skis was easy. I actually got up like my third try. And then I started getting my balance and everything and starting to figure all that stuff out. And then learning how to cross the wake back and forth. It was really, really difficult. Um, And then after that, I learned how to kneeboard. Love kneeboarding, but that was a whole different ball game. And then I remember a few years later, I learned how to wakeboard. And wakeboard is even harder because you have a big surface area that's pushing against the water. And so you've got to learn, it was crazy. And then the hardest of all, my favorite, slalom skiing. So skiing on one ski. Because in that one, you actually trudge through the water, like you're almost like water's going over you, you're in it, and you have to wait until the boat pulls you up completely out of the water, and then you're on one ski, so your balance is like completely off. So I would have not learned how to do that until I did it myself. That's my point. In anything that we do, learning how to walk, riding a bike, learning how to water ski, playing a sport, whatever, you have to go out and do it yourself, or else you don't know what you're doing. Spiritually, it's the exact same thing. And so I love the picture that God provides us with the Shulamite bride here in chapter three, where she's in her own thoughts in the first part in verse one, uh, she goes out into the streets and and into the, the, uh, uh, well, the verse here, verse two talks about the broadways and she seeks him whom her soul loveth and she couldn't find him. Then the watchmen, which are people that are keeping watch over the city, they find her. But then after that, then she finds him. So that's super important when it comes to your spiritual walk. You're not going to find God inside of your own self, your own heart, your own emotions. You're not going to find God out in this world and in the ways of this world. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to find God because I tell you, there he is. I can point you in the direction, but then you need to go and you need to find him. And until you have a personal desire deep down to find God, you won't find him. It's just not going to happen. Same thing with salvation. If you know that you need to be saved from your sin... And you know that Jesus Christ is the only way, until you personally know that deep down and you do something about it, you're not saved. It's not gonna happen. It's not a feeling, it's not your family, it's not just going to church, it's not just being a good person. You have to go to God yourself and seek Him and ask Him to be saved. You have to, or else it's not real. It's not gonna happen. All right, what else? Was there anything else that stood out to you guys from last week? Yeah. I was her talking about how like when she found him, what like, she held on to him, Yes. This is kind of makes me feel like like we need to hold on to God anymore, so. Yeah, yeah. God's already not going to let you go if you're saved, if you're born again. He's promised that. But we let go of God way too easily in our life. We just do. And her deep down, her passion, her her desire is to hold on to Him and never let Him go, no matter what, no matter what. And He's loved us tremendously, so we should never let Him go. Anything else? I mean, there's only one more point, I guess, we could talk about, and that's be persistent. (laughs) Never give up looking for God. There are times in life where it's like, God, what in the world are you doing? And it causes us to doubt God and causes us to doubt what he's doing and doubt his plan and doubt he knows what he's doing. Remember who you're talking to. I mean, just remember who you're talking to. God who made, oh, everything, you know, and you and has kept you alive up to this point in your life has kept you safe i mean has blessed you with so many things in your life no matter how bad your life is like even those guys at the movie theater no matter how bad their life is god has blessed them i mean he blessed them and not me going after them um so there are things that we need to look at in our lives that that we don't understand sometimes why god does what he does but you have to remember who he is And one of the big things that I've I've learned early on, and sometimes I don't apply it, and i got to go back to the basics again, is that if I have trusted God with my eternity, if I have trusted God with my salvation, that the day I die, I mean, talk about a day where you don't know what things are going to happen and how it's going to all unfold. I mean, how many of you know what it's like to die and come back? Anybody? Okay. So it's a giant mystery to all of us. And so that day that we step into the darkness of death, whenever that is, He's got you. If you've trusted him with your eternity, he has you. And so even though you're stepping into the great unknown of death, he's there and he has you and he's going to carry you into his presence for eternity if you're born again. That's important. And if you're trusting him with that day, you can trust him now with the other things that are going on because the other things that are going on in your life are frankly very small and very inconsequential compared to the day of your death. The day of your death is a big deal. I don't know if you ever knew that, <laughs> it's a pretty big deal, and you're trusting God with that for your eternity, so you can trust God. You can. You can. Even though you may not feel like it, you can. All right, so that really takes care of chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 5, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, which I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but I wanted to mention this, is uh, um, where you have verse uh, 5 here, or verse 4. Um, where she says, It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my the chamber of her that conceived me. into my mother's house, into the chamber of her that conceived me. I thought that was really odd, the way that was worded. Like, okay, I held him, and then I brought him, brought him to my mom's house into her bedroom. You know what I mean? It's just kind of weird. And so I was thinking about that, and like, well, what does that really mean? And I was thinking about how you know, that's a place that is probably one of the most personal, intimate places that you could go, no matter who it is. You know what I mean? Like, when you visit someone's house, you don't like, hey, I want to take a look at your bedroom. You know what I mean? I mean, unless some of you are weirdos, which maybe some of you are, you would actually ask that. Petey? No? Okay. So, (coughs) he's had a look on his face. It looks like he's done it before. Um... But it's one of those things where you don't, you don't just do that. You don't, it's just, it's rude. You don't do things like that. But that's where she desired to take him. And so as I was thinking about that and really chewing on that a little bit, it just made me think that, you know, she took him to the place where he saw her for who she really was. Like there was nothing to hide. There was nothing to make herself look better. Like he saw her for real, like no counterfeits, no best foot forward, scars and all wounds and all everything he saw her for who she was that's jesus christ i mean some people think that you need to in order to walk with god you've got to be like righteous you kidding i'm not righteous but i walk with god no it's not a requirement to walk with god you know what's a requirement to walk with god humility admitting your mistakes admitting that you're wrong admitting that you're prideful and arrogant about certain things hiding your sin those sorts of that's the kind of stuff that keeps us walking uh, not with god but with the world and so when it comes to him jesus christ he already knows you inside and out like everything about you like the things that you don't want anyone else to know he already knows about them deeply and intimately and he still loves you those things that we fear that stop us from walking with god he already knows it and he still loves you that is incredible That is absolutely incredible about our God. And that makes me want to walk with Him because why does He love me like that? I mean, I know me and I know who I am and I know my flaws and I know my mistakes and I know my thoughts and I know my bad decisions in my life. And yet He still loves me. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. And that's why she sought Him so diligently. And when she found Him, she would not let Him go because there's no one's going to love her like that. No one. Absolutely astounding. I love it all right so verses 6 through 11 so verses 6 through 11 this is going to be more doctrinal but i wanted to show you guys this because this is amazing absolutely amazing um so these are going to be some doctrinal applications uh more around the second coming of christ um a little bit with the rapture but mostly the second coming of christ but i wanted to show you some of these pictures because it's pretty amazing and it makes me love the bible even more so i hope that this morning this really makes you love the bible as well All right, so the bride speaks of the bridegroom's arrival, and uh, we'll take this verse by verse all the way through. So verse 6, verse 6, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant? Okay, so what's interesting is that when you do a study on this, you have the first thing that you notice is the word, what's the first word you notice coming into this? Wilderness. Cometh out of the wilderness. Now, when you think of the wilderness, what do you think of? The woods. The woods <laughs> is. Brian Regan, he's a great comedian. Bear in the woods, and. All right. So, in the wood it is. In the wood it is. All right. Never mind. Okay. So, I love it. I love it. He's hilarious. All right. So, anyway, wilderness. So, you got the woods, you got the outdoors. What else we got biblically? Yeah, a barren place in the Bible, desert, which is, come on, Exodus, 40 years in the wilderness of Egypt. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right, anyway, all right, we'll get there. I know, the synapses are not firing quick enough. I get it. I get it. I thought the cookies would help, but maybe they wouldn't. All right. So the wilderness of Egypt. So this is really, really critical. All right, so when you look at your notes, so he comes out of the wilderness. His entrance is powerful, awesome, and memorable. So he comes out of the wilderness. This is the picture of that Exodus to Joshua because you have Exodus where they're in bondage in Egypt and then they're set free out of Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb because that's the last plague. Last plague was the angel of death came in and killed all the firstborn, except you had Israel or those that were willing to believe. It wasn't just Israel. It was for everybody that was willing to believe. They took a spotless lamb, and they killed it, and they took the blood of that lamb, and what did they do? You remember? Put the door. They put it on the doorpost. So the doorpost of their house, kind of like this, they would take the blood of that lamb, and they would put the blood on this side, on the side, and up on the top. So the whole thing was completely covered. And ironically, just ironically, because I'm sure, I'm sure it's just irony, that you have that whole thing right there. So when the angel would come by and it would be coming through the streets and it would, be seeing, it would see the blood that was upon that door, doorway of the house and it would pass by and the firstborn would not die. But for every house that did not have the blood applied, that, that house lost their firstborn. This is a great picture, a great doctrinal truth. If you are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you will die. But when the angel of death sees the blood applied... You have life. It's amazing. Right in the book of Exodus. I love it. So that was the last plague to release the people of Israel out of bondage. And they were set free to go to the promised land. God's people. Amazing. When you are born again, when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, you have been set free from your sin, your bondage and sin. And now you are following God out into the wilderness to the promised land. Okay. The wilderness is also a picture of this world because we're not at our promised land yet heaven and so we're walking with god through the wilderness now but see god he comes out of the wilderness this is what he does he wants to lead his people out of the wilderness and so you have that beautiful beautiful picture let me show you a couple passages here go to revelation chapter 12 hold your spot in song of solomon go to revelation 12 And while we're going to Revelation 12, can I get someone to go to uh, Jeremiah 2-2? Kent, you got that one. Jeremiah 2-2. So, Revelation 12. So, during the tribulation, Revelation chapter 12. So, we're already out of here at this point in the game because the rapture takes place first. And then you have the seven-year tribulation that's going to happen on the earth. And it's going to be absolutely terrible. And the focus is going to be the nation of Israel again. The Antichrist is going to wipe out the nation of Israel. That's his desire. And so what happens here in chapter 12 is that God gives us a great picture of what's going on during the tribulation and the Antichrist, the devil's desire to destroy the nation of Israel. Now take a look at verse uh, 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Now when you study out that woman, that is the nation of Israel, this goes back to Genesis 37 with the vision that Joshua saw, or not Joshua, uh, Joseph saw in, in when he was dreaming. And it, it directly connects with his 12 brethren, the nation of Israel. That's the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so now she's with child, she's travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, study that out, that is the devil, It's from Psalm 74, Revelation 12, Isaiah 27, Job 41. Great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast him to the earth. So this is the verse that talks about how he takes the third of the angelic host with him in his rebellion early on. And the dragon stood before the woman, which is ready to be delivered, for devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That is Jesus Christ. That is a direct reference to the prophecy back in Isaiah about how he was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God, that's his ascension up into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, and to his throne. And then look at this. And the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Okay, so during the tribulation, this is is critical for you to understand how things are going in the last days. During the tribulation, the nation of Israel is going to be attacked. This persecution began early, early on before Jesus was even born. And then once Jesus was born, it was the devil's desire to destroy Christ. That's why he put him up on a cross. But the pride of the devil didn't realize that putting Jesus up on a cross was actually the one thing that was going to set God's people free and actually seal his fate. He didn't know that because he was blind through his pride. So what happened after that is that you had this parenthesis period because the Israelites just completely rejected Jesus even after he rose again from the dead. But Israel's going to be brought back on the scene. But that's why throughout history, since 30 AD on... Till now, the Jews have been persecuted to no end and they have been tried to be killed and, and extinguished from nation after nation after nation after nation after nation. It is not a coincidence that the people hate the Jews. It is not a coincidence. That is the way of this world, the wilderness, trying to destroy God from fulfilling his promises in Revelation. But the evidence that the Jew exists and they have their own nation back today is proof that God exists. It is proof, because no nation ever before has been completely wiped out and then brought back together and then given their own land again. That has never happened in the history of mankind, ever. Only God does stuff like that, because he has prophecies that he needs to fulfill, that he promised the nation of Israel. So this woman, during the the seven years of tribulation, is going to be the focus of the devil and of the Antichrist, and he's going to want to wipe them out, wipe them out, wipe them out. Now, during this time, it says there's a place out in the wilderness, ironically, probably the same place that they wandered for 40 years, that they're going to go to, that God's going to supernaturally protect them from the Antichrist. He's not going to be able to find them. He's not going to be able to touch them. He's not going to be able to hurt them. And God's going to feed them and take care of them and sustain them for seven years until the whole thing's over. And then when Jesus Christ shows up, guess where he shows up first? The wilderness. The wilderness. And then he leads his people from the wilderness back into the promised land. The same path that Joshua took in the book of Joshua where he conquered Jericho, Ai, and he kept going all the way from city to city is the same path that Jesus Christ is going to take when he comes back at his second coming to take over everything. It's absolutely amazing when you study it out. All right. I love the Bible. It's fantastic. So that is where God goes. That's where he comes out of. So this is a picture of the second coming of Christ. Listen to Jeremiah 2 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. The love of thine espousals. That's like the first day that they were married unto God. Where did that take place? In the wilderness. It took place in the wilderness. So it's kind of weird to think about it this way, but the nation of Israel, when they were married unto God the Father back in Exodus, their honeymoon was in the wilderness. Sure. You know, they're the outdoorsy type. Out in the wilderness. That's what their honeymoon was. That's where the first place where they made their commitment. They made their covenant unto God. They said, we will do everything that you say. And he says, remember that day. Out in the wilderness. That's us. We're in the wilderness. It's here that we learn we need God And so that's when we call out to him to save us and to help us with our life. It's sweet. When we struggle, this is so weird, but you'll get it if you know what I'm talking about or if God really just stirs in your heart about it. When you struggle and you have a hard time, it can be such a sweet moment with the Lord. It can be because—let me give you another example. I'm spending too much time on this, but I don't care. All right, so yesterday I had a moment with Lucas that ripped my heart out. I mean, it was bad. He, I mean, he's five years old, I get that. And as a five-year-old, I know they're bound to lie. But he and Lily were doing something back in their room, and something unfolded where Lily came out to tell me about it, and he was, like, trying to broker a deal for her not to tell me about what was going on. And so I asked him what happened, and he confessed to doing something that, wasn't right but she's adamant about how no that's not what he did this is what he did i'm like okay and i mean they're both like convincing i mean to the point where i can't tell who's lying and i had a feeling that lucas was lying but i couldn't really tell so finally I got to the point where like all right you both are getting spankings because i don't know who's telling the truth i don't i don't want to do that but sometimes when you do that, it forces things to come out even more. It's kind of like with Solomon, back in the Old Testament, where you had the two women that said, this child's mine. No, it's mine. Give me a sword. I'm going to cut the child in half. No, 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 no. no. You take the child. That's the mom. I mean, that's the, that's the process. So when I did that, then I spanked him, and he took it, and then I brought Lily into the bathroom, and I was going to spank her, and she was like a lawyer in the courtroom pleading because someone was going to die. I mean, she's just, <laughs> she's just dramatic. But she's so passionate to the point where I actually start laughing because she's like, I'm telling you, Dad, I promise, I promise, this is what he did. He's lying. He's lying. I mean, I'm like, oh. So I had to cover my face because I was laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I'm like, all right. So I brought Lucas back in. And as I'm working out the whole situation, he's still sticking true to it. And so I finally, I pulled in the God card. And I'm like, all right, if God showed up right now and he asked, because he already knows who's lying and who's telling the truth what would you say? And then he still held to it. And I'm like, man. And so I'm like, all right, the the only thing I can do in this circumstance is, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. We're done with this. We're not going to talk about it anymore, but God knows who's lying. And I'm telling you, you better be scared because God is not going to let you get away with it, which is true. It's biblical. God is not going to let you get away with it. It's going to catch up to you at one point or another, and you better be scared to death about it. And so then, you know, we kept going on about our day. Lucas and Lily go back to their room, and I find out later that they were talking to each other about the circumstance. Come on to the kitchen, and Lily's like, Lucas, you should really tell Dad. And he's like, I said I would, and he's whispering in her ear, I said I would tell him tonight. And she's like, no, you just need to tell him now. And I'm hearing this whole thing. And then he's like, I don't wanna talk about it anymore. That's what he says, I don't, I don't wanna talk about it anymore. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, that's it, I'm done. And so I pull Lucas into the bathroom. And I'm like, you're lying. I know you're lying. I know you are. And it's terrible. And I can't believe you lied to me. And I push him and push him and push him. And then finally he's like, okay, I lied. And he was in tears. And then I was in tears because my boy lying to me like that. I mean, it was terrible. It hurt me because I always wanted him to tell me the truth. Because in my life, I've hid stuff in my life and I've hid sin in my life. And it's got me in big trouble. And I don't want my son to do the same thing that I've done. So I'm crying in the bathroom, <laughs> he's crying in the bathroom, and I'm like, all right, so here's the deal. And I'm holding him, and I'm rocking him, and I'm kissing his head, and I'm like, and I told him I always love him, and I said, but here's the deal, I'm going to have to give you three spankings. I said, it's even worse now, because there was one, but you, you lied, and you still held to it, and it got to this point, so I have to make it worse, there's consequences. So I got to give you three, and I'm taking away your smartwatch. And that's like, no! <laughs> and, but he understood and he did it. And then I, he and I prayed. I prayed for him. And then he prayed and, and asked God to help him obey. And, and it ended really, really sweet. And it ended up being a sweet moment that actually drew us closer instead of driving us farther away. And that's what it's like with God. If we would be willing to humble ourselves, that's Him. Is that He just, sometimes God is hard on us because we're not willing to break we're not willing to just you're right god i'm wrong and then when that happens it's like finally now come here that's what it's like with god but we're so stupid and stubborn that we just hold on to this trash in our life that we know god doesn't approve of why why some of you guys your life is hard because you hold on to stuff like that and god is trying to get you to break down to let it go and to admit that you're wrong <sighs> that's the nation of israel all right so he comes out of the wilderness and then there's like pillars of smoke i'm going to try to get through this you're going to have to look up some of these references later but like pillars of smoke now this is really cool in exodus 13 uh, god showed up for the nation of israel in two forms you remember what they were yep yeah, the cloud of smoke and the pillar of fire. And so what happens is, is that both, in both circumstances, seem like pillars. Because even with, in Exodus 13, this is where uh, Egypt is driving after the Israelites, after they let him go, and Pharaoh ends up repenting, and he's like, no, I want to go, and let's bring them back into bondage. Well, God shows up, because Israel is now against the Red Sea, which, you know, when you take a look at that, you have like the Red Sea this way. So Israel is going this way. And so then you have Egypt that they're coming up behind. Well, there's like mountains here and mountains here. So Israel couldn't go any direction. This is where they were. And all they had was the Red Sea in front of them. That's all they had. And Egypt is coming. Well, God stops. And all night while Moses lifts up his staff and the, you have the east wind that drives and ends up parting the Red Sea. It takes a full night. Not like the, you know, what is it? The Disney version of of the whole story where it happens instantaneously. Yeah. No, it takes all night for that to occur. And so it ends up splitting the sea. You got the dry land. But God protects because Egypt shows up and he protects them and he puts that pillar of smoke and that, that pillar of fire between the Egyptians and the Israelites that they can't even pass through. In fact, it even says that God's face looked upon the Egyptians through all that stuff. That's what we're talking about. In the tribulation, that's exactly how God is going to supernaturally protect the nation of Israel. And devotionally, This is how he protects you. I mean, you have no idea. As a child of God, the enemy wants to destroy you. I mean, destroy you. Absolutely, utterly, completely tear you to pieces. And there are times that you don't even know but God intervenes and puts a wall between you and the enemy. Because that's how much he loves you and he cares about you. That's what he does. Because he's always seeking your good. And so that's the presence of the Lord, this protection, the second coming as well. And then you have the perfume with myrrh, frankincense, and all powders of the merchant. Now, what's really cool about this is uh, when I was studying this all out, myrrh and frankincense are all burial spices, and they're very expensive, very precious. They were used in the burial of Jesus Christ. But he also throws in powders of the merchant. Now, what's interesting about this is that when you look at Revelation 18, Revelation 18 talks about Babylon. And Babylon was a place during the tribulation and even now, wherever it exists spiritually, which we know it's Italy, but Rome specifically. But anyway, you have that they are making money off of things, precious things, the merchant. That's what a merchant is. They make money they sell the things that they have. They sell goods. People give them money. Now, what's interesting about this is that in Revelation 18, God destroys Babylon. I mean, destroys Babylon. And all the things that were precious to Babylon doesn't mean anything anymore. And so when I look at this and I see how he is perfumed with the things that Babylon loves, it's because he's taken them from them unto himself. And now he smells like that because he's taken vengeance upon them. It's really kind of cool when you look at it from that perspective. So that was really, really neat. All right, then look at verse 7 and 8 of Song of Solomon, chapter 3. All right, it says, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. Now, this is interesting. So you got the valiant men. We're going to talk about his bed in a minute. But valiant and vigilant men. Now, when I read this, I immediately thought of David... And he had his valiant men. He had his men, uh, mighty men of valor, is what they were called back in the Old Testament. Now, these dudes were tough. I mean, tough. You did not want to mess with these guys at all. They were the toughest of the toughest of the toughest guys. And, like, there's one of them that slew, like, a thousand people by himself with a spear. I mean, you go back and read some of the stuff they did, it was intense. And so these guys were tough. And that's who surround solomon and that's who surrounds jesus christ but what's interesting about this is take a look at this go over to jude 14 i'm going to show you this jude 14 hold your spot go to jude 14 the book right before revelation jude 14 gun bad. Sword. yeah right <laughs> roll over cut yourself all right jude 14 So talking about the second coming of Christ, in Jude, verse 14, because there's only one chapter, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when he comes back, there's going to be this army of people and when you study this out completely, you find out that this is us. This is us. This is the angelic host and us when he goes and we follow after him as he conquers the earth and takes over everything by force. And so when God looks at us, he looks at us as valiant valiant warriors. He does. And valiant warriors, as a side note devotionally, know how to handle a sword. They know how to handle a sword. Hebrews 4:12. The word of God is our sword. Ephesians 6, sword. You know how to handle your Bible. So don't wait until that day to know how to handle your sword. Do it now. You should learn how to fight valiantly for the Lord in the wilderness today. You've got to be able to do it. So they were equipped with swords. That's our next point. And they were experts in war. How do you become an expert in war? You got to fight. You got to do it. And you got to keep doing it. When it comes to spiritual warfare, you have got to fight. When it comes to your spiritual walk, you can't back down. You can't back down. You can't give up. How in the world are you going to learn how to be successful and to win if you keep quitting? You can't. And believe me, if the God of the universe is on your side, (coughs) and he is, he will help you win. We just quit. We quit on God way too much. But you've got to learn how to fight. If you want to be an expert in war, you've got to learn how to fight. You have to. You can't give up. You can't give up. I mean, honestly, the only difference between you and me is years. And I've chosen with some of my struggles not to give up. That's it. That's really it. I mean, that's, that's about it. The Bible's still the Bible. God is still God. I just have some years on you, and I've chosen to keep fighting. And I'm not going to stop. I don't want to, I don't want to stop fighting. There's too much stuff at stake. I don't want to stop. All right, and then the last part, 9 and 10 of Song of Solomon, chapter 3. So we're going back to a little bit of verse 7, uh, his bed, and then he describes it. And in verse 9 it says, King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof gold, the covering of it purple, the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Now, this is just weird how this is worded because I, would, I wrote this chapter out and as I was writing it out, I'm like, wait a minute. It's talking about his bed in verse 7, but then it's describing his chariot in verse 9 and then it goes through the different parts of his chariot. So, okay. So I just kind of started working through this. So here's what's interesting. The chariot is a place of war and authority. Is so that your blank there? The chariot is a place of war and And authority, and he has a uniquely crafted chariot. But that's true. I mean, when you read in Genesis, um, you've got several places. Pharaoh and his army pursuing after Israel. The king, Pharaoh, he had his chariot, and he pursued him. Um, Back when um, uh, Joseph was, he became second in command over Egypt, what did he ride in? A chariot. And he was given the clothes of the king, and it was a symbol of authority. Okay. So that picture is very, very clear in Scripture. Now, let's keep going. It was made of the wood of Lebanon. And this is literally means strength, Lebanon. When you read passages in 2 Chronicles 2 and Psalm 29, this wood of Lebanon, they talk about the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon was just, it was intense wood. It was like some of the best wood you could possibly get. It was the wood from which the temple was made. Um, there's other woods in the forest of Lebanon that they made the musical instruments for the temple and everything. So God used the best of the best. And the cedars were super duper strong. So strength. So it's a place of authority. It's made of strong wood. Pillars of silver. So silver, according to Psalm 12, 6 and 7 and 66, 10, is the word of God. It's the word of God. It's a, it's a symbol of the Bible because the Bible is purified as silver Seven times in Psalm 12, 6, and 7. The bottom of it is gold. And gold, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Hebrews 12, is faith. It's faith. The covering of it is purple. And that means royalty. And that was commonly known. It was the most expensive fabric that you could buy because of the dye that was used to make it purple. And only kings wore it. And Jesus was a, was arrayed with a robe that was purple before his death. In the midst thereof being paved with love. Love. What? Like, he just kind of throws it in there. Love. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it was made by his own hand. So I hope you guys are piecing this all, all together. This is absolutely amazing. The place where God rides, the place where he lives and he makes his way that he wars him that he is celebrated that his authority is seen on display is the gospel it's the word of god faith royalty it's everything it was made by his own hand jesus christ himself was the one that died for us it wasn't some crazy thing that someone else fabricated god did it by his own hand and so then his chariot is also his bed and that's the last point here now what in the world like i was thinking about this and thinking about this and thinking about this like okay so his bed valiant men chariot what and then as i was thinking about this thinking about it look at it this way from this perspective the place of rest and peace cannot come without war it can't there's no way god had to fight on your behalf to give you salvation he had to he had to fight for you this is what he chose to do going back to the cross from the very beginning Going back to the cross, from the very beginning, he had to fight and die for you, for you to have rest and peace. So that same place that he fought for you, the gospel, is the same place that you can rest with him. Daily, every day. Beautiful picture, beautiful picture. And then lastly, go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown, wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals and the day of the gladness of his heart. And that kind of goes back to that picture of the wilderness of Jeremiah 2.2, where in the day of their espousals was in the wilderness where they made their commitment, and their covenant unto God, and it's a day of rejoicing, and that's the day of your salvation. So there's so many cool things in here. Now, I wish we could spend more time on it, but you can dive into some of these details later. But this is absolutely astounding, the picture of Jesus Christ and his second coming, and even a little bit of his first coming too. All right, cool. So that puts us at the end of Chapter 3. We'll start on Chapter 4 next week. And then this Wednesday, we're going to do something different. I thought we were going to finish with the charismatic stuff, but we're actually going to do it again. Um, I would like to go through 1 Corinthians 14, just step through that chapter, because that's the chapter that all Charismatics use to defend their doctrines on speaking in tongues, Um, and it's something that you guys are going to need to know really, really well. So we're just going to step through it, and if you have any questions, you guys can ask it as we go through it, and that's what we're going to do this Wednesday. And then we'll do Islam the following week. So. you all right. the questions in tongues? Yeah, okay. totally. English tongues. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some Spanish. All right. Okay. okay. Alright, let's pray. God, thank you once again for our time this morning. Thank you for your word. It really does meet all of our needs. And uh, thank you for loving us the way you do and never giving up on us and um, just being so sweet and so kind. And I just pray, God, that we would just be humble. Um, it's, it's hard to do sometimes, but it is so necessary. And so I pray that you would um, just keep loving us and just thank you for your goodness and just how, how gentle you are with us at times and even times where we need to be broken. I know that it's, it's always been for my good and that's my testimony in my life. So I pray that no matter what's going on in anyone's life here in this room, that you would just let them know how much you care for them and how deeply you care for them and how you will never give up on them. So thank you, God. We love you. We love you very much. Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.